Hello and welcome to the Wicked Things Podcast. We present to you Stadler House Book 2 Emily. How would you move on if you suffered the terrible loss of your family at a friend's hand? That is what Emily Stevens has been trying to do for almost two decades, but her past seems hell-bent on haunting her till her dying days. She has continued to suffer and now finds herself locked away in a mental health facility. Dr. Stadler, hypnotized and forced her to forget parts of her past, before his incarceration. Dr. Waters, under court orders continues to try and determine if Emily is sane enough to stand trial for murder. Rodney, has moved on as one of the two survivors of the Stadler House Massacre. But it seems fate has put him and Emily in a direct path towards one another. Who knows how this will all end or if it will end. Otherworldly forces are clearly at work in this small town of Port St. John, Florida. The high winds of the next feeder band make their way to the area occupied by the small town and the old house. The wall groans under the steady force of the rain and strong winds. Thunderous drumming of the torrential rains echoes throughout the ranch-style home of Mr. James Hill. The hallway bathroom door swings open, allowing Emily to step out of the small space. She makes her way down the hallway, stopping short of the front room. She rubs her head. Ouch! Damn bump! Emily spots the sofa under a pile of newspapers. A smile settles onto her face as she staggers towards the buried couch. She pushes the newspapers off the sofa. They tumble onto the floor with a dull thump. Emily stretches out across the sofa where the newspapers once rested. She gags and wrinkles her nose at the rising odor released by the sofa cushions. Emily closes her eyes. I know you're not supposed to sleep with a concussion. Emily opens her eyes, hearing a door opening close by. She sits up on the sofa and glances down the hallway. She sees the door to the master bedroom cracked open. James, you need to stay in bed. I told you not to get up without my help. Emily storms down the hallway, mumbling under her breath. I swear if he is out of that bed, I will break his legs myself. Emily grabs the doorknob and pushes the door open, only to discover the absence of James Hill altogether. She steps into the room, looking around the room. Where the hell did he go? Emily searches the closet, under the bed, and the master bathroom for the missing hospice patient. She stops and rubs the back of her neck with a look of confusion on her face. She stares at the floor, thinking about where the old man could have gotten off to. Emily steps back into the hallway, closing the door behind her. She looks up, spotting Mr. Hill standing with his back to the floral patterned cloth recliner in the front room. No, James, you will hurt yourself. Stop right there. James's eyes are closed, and he has his IV pole with him. James mutters incoherently and sways in place. He snores loud enough to echo through the house. Emily can see Mr. Hill is sleepwalking, as Brenda warned her. She runs to his side to prevent him from falling to the floor and injuring himself. She reaches out for the old man, but inches from grabbing him, she gets stopped in her tracks by a forceful cold breeze that rips past her. James takes a couple deep breaths and collapses into the recliner. He lands, accompanied by the sound of cracking wood from inside the recliner. 
The leg rest shoots out under the weight of the old man, lifting his leg up into a resting position. He snorts, awakening angry, and sees Emily three feet away from him. What the hell are you doing? Why did you move me out here? Emily pauses, trying to figure out what happened. She looks over her shoulder to the hallway. The breeze entered after pushing past her. She sees the door across from the master bedroom swing closed, making little to no noise. What the heck is going on around here? James returns the leg rest to its normal closed position and slides to the end of the recliner's seat. He turns to glare at the woman, ignoring him. Hey, I'm talking to you. Look at me, damn it. Emily snaps out of her momentary stupor, hearing his rude remark about her. She returns his glare while wagging a corrective finger at the old man. She takes a deep breath. Mr. Hill, you got away with that with Brenda, but not with me. You better treat me with a lot more respect than you have been. Mr. Hill flops back into his recliner and folds his arms closed after hearing her correct him. He scoffs and looks away from Emily. Who do you think you are? You don't talk to me like that. Emily walks into the front room and laughs at the old man's remark about her attitude. She lowers her head, getting right down into James's face. I give what I get. You want respect, then give some. James mumbles under his breath, sarcastically mimicking her words and actions. He stares at her and gestures to the kitchen. Get me a glass of water. Emily shakes her head, realizing her words are useless with this grumpy old bastard. She huffs and storms into the kitchen. She chuckles after searching the cabinets. You have nothing clean to drink out of. James laughs looks over his shoulder to the kitchen, and faces Emily. She returns the glance. He smiles ghoulishly. Well, I guess someone should do some dishes. Brenda washed nothing. I'm pretty sure she made a couple meals using the dirty dishes out there. Emily spots a container full of dish soap and prepares the sink and drying rack to begin the cleaning process. She puts out a pair of heavy rubber yellow gloves and sighs. I'll get the dishes done first, and then I'll bring you a nice clean cup of water. James settles back into his recliner and instinctively grabs the television remote from the pouch on the left-hand side of his chair. He turns the television on and sets the channel to his favorite station to irritate company, the county's local gospel station. Emily hears the television come on as the local gospel station tunes in blasting the 700 Club. She cringes as James sings along with the performers. His singing voice cuts across her nerves like broken glass underfoot. She whispers to herself, Why do they always watch that damn station? Every hospice patient listens to this garbage. James spots her cringing in the kitchen with a quick over-the-shoulder glance. He smiles, seeing her irritation building, and turns the volume up. 
He takes a deep breath, blasting his horrible voice into a duet with the television performer. James chuckles, knowing this will drive her crazy. In his moment of overconfidence, he pushes his body's limits, resulting in more coughing spasms. The spasms make it seem impossible for him to take in air. He strains to look in Emily's direction and reaches out as his vision turns myopic on him. Emily continues to wash the dishes by hand, one by one, and place them into the drying rack. She notices a raccoon scurry across the backyard at the edges of the back porch light's sickly yellow illumination. The light makes her recall the events that happened to her in the bathroom. You know, that stunt in the bathroom wasn't funny. You shouldn't scare me. I don't know of any other nurses available to come out. I'm the last one, and if I go, you're screwed. James swings his arms in the air above himself, signaling for help, but she does not see him in her focus in the backyard. He slaps his arms against his neck and claws at his neck to draw in air. He spots the remote control and throws it at the cabinets near Emily. The remote control explodes in a rain of plastic parts next to her head. Emily turns to face him with her fist on her hips. She yells over the blasting volume of the television, turning to confront the old man. I think that's about enough. Emily's eyes widen. She tears off the yellow gloves and runs to his side in a full panic, seeing his gasping for air and clawing at his neck. No, 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 don't die, don't die, please don't die, damn it. Emily checks his vitals and checks his oxygen line to make sure he is getting plenty of clean, fresh air. She sees that the tank has used up its contents, resulting in him not receiving the life-giving air supply. She grabs him by the sides of his head and looks into his eyes. Your oxygen bottle ran out. Where are your tanks at? The coughing spasms take their toll on his old body, and James seems to fade away in her hands. His eyes glass over, and his hands tremble. He gasps and gulps at the air, but stops soon after. Emily sprints down the hallway into his bedroom. She slides to a halt next to his hospital bed. She searches the room for any signs of spare oxygen tanks. Emily notices the shiny metal tanks, thanks to a glint of steel from a reflection inside the master bedroom walk-in closet. There you are. Emily launches herself across the room, clearing the clutter of medical waste containers resting between the hospital bed and the closet. She examines the tanks and takes the first one she sees reading full on its gauges. Emily tucks the air tank under her arm and runs out of the room into the hallway. Her run turns into a panic-fueled sprint to the old man's side in the front room recliner. I got the tank! Hang on, Mr. Hill! Emily pulls the oxygen line from the spent tank and jabs it onto the connector of the new tank. She turns the release valve, sending life-giving oxygen to the old man. She waits and watches the old man for signs of recovery from the earlier lack of air. Come on, come on, Mr. Hill, wake up, please. Emily watches his chest, praying for it to rise or fall on its own. But the moment doesn't come for her. She jumps to her feet 
and rushes into the kitchen to her emergency bag. She withdraws a sturdy syringe and a bottle of adrenaline. She plunges the tip of the needle inside and pulls the medicine into the syringe. This had better work. Emily races to Mr. Hill and rips open the tops of his pajamas. She runs her finger along his sternum, seeking a space that will allow the needle to penetrate his chest cavity and reach his heart. She smiles, finding an ideal space between the ribs and close to the edge of his sternum. He goes nothing. Emily raises the needle high above Mr. Hill's chest. She pauses momentarily to mumble a prayer for guidance. With all her might, she brings the syringe down fast and steady in a stabbing motion. She feels the needle puncture the protective cartilage around the sternum and hitting its mark. She yells out in excitement, Bingo! Emily uses her right hand to drive the plunger of the needle down and forcing the medicine into James's chest. She steps back, taking the needle with her. Please work. James Hill's eyes flash open, and he takes in a deep breath of air. His eyes bulge as the adrenaline courses through his veins, sending his heartbeat racing and pulse pounding. I'm alive! James slides to the edge of his recliner seat, preparing to stand up. Emily spots his movements and moves in front of him and crosses her arms. She scowls and shakes her head, showing not to continue with whatever he may have had planned. Don't even think about it. You sit right there and try to stay calm. The effects of the medicine will fade, and I don't need you racing through the house when the effects end. The pain from the injection site registers with Mr. Hill's senses. He pulls back the pajama top to see why his chest hurts. He spots the large bruise forming and looks up to her. Ma'am, what did you do? Emily shrugs in response and strolls into the kitchen, placing the used syringe into a red and white container for used needles. She turns to face Mr. Hill and sits down on the edge of the kitchen table. She minces and tilts her head from side to side as she clenches her jaw. I probably did the wrong thing and saved your life. James laughs out loud and punches the bridge of his nose. He realizes what she has done in that moment and shakes his head. So, let me get this straight. My hospice workers saw I was dead and you brought me back to life. Are you that dense? Emily cringes at his wordy observation of her job failing. She opens her mouth to speak, but has troubles discovering the words for what she has done. She shuffles toward him and stares at the floor, her eyes racing side to side. Emily takes a breath and looks into his judgmental expression. In the heat of the moment, I couldn't help myself. You were reaching out for help. I'm a nurse. They trained me to save lives. This whole hospice thing goes against everything I went to school to learn. James huffs and thanklessly turns the television back on as he settles into his recliner once again. He hums along to the performer's song of holy reflection, and, thanks to his faith in the divine, 
He waves his hands dismissively at Emily. Emily grabs her overnight bag and storms out the front door. She remains on the porch, staying away from the rain and gusting winds. She reaches into her bag and removes a plastic sandwich bag containing a small amount of loose marijuana. Emily jostles the plastic bag. The movement reveals amidst the twigs and stems a rolled joint. She raises and lowers her eyebrows playfully and smiles. There you are. Emily rocks on the old porch swing, smoking and listening to the sounds of the rain. She nods, hearing the force of the rain and wind retreat enough to make the early morning hours a positive reprieve of the events that led her to this moment. She takes a long puff from the joint and stares at it. I think he made me this more than me. Emily rocks, listening to the gentle rainfall outside. For the first time, she embraces seclusion of the home far from neighbors or the distractions of the world at large. Inevitably, she hums along to the gospel songs bursting forth from the television inside. Emily feels a growing sense of peace beginning to fill her mind and body. She stops rocking, hearing the televangelist on the television during his sermon speaking about the human spirit's needs for forgiving others and asking for forgiveness. She sighs and nods, taking the message to heart, knowing that she must give and seek forgiveness from Mr. Hill. Emily casts a glance over her shoulder topper through the thin white curtains hanging from the inside of the windows of the house. She narrows her eyes, searching for Mr. Hill, but spots a child standing behind him. Emily shakes her head, not clear of what she believes she sees inside the house. She flicks the rest of the joint onto the rain puddle-filled lawn and turns her attention back to the inside of the house. She stares directly at the image of a small blonde girl in a filthy sundress. Emily notices the girl has a jagged, torn flesh wound across her throat. What the heck? Emily runs to the front door, but hesitates at the threshold entering the house. She throws open the door, hopeful to catch the intruder off guard. I knew someone else was here. The door to the front room burst open with enough force that it slams against the wall-mounted doorstop. The door vibrates and jiggles as it swings back towards Emily. She reaches out, stopping the door from impacting against her. Emily yells out, rushing past the door into the front room. I got you now. She stops in mid-sentence, seeing Mr. Hill asleep in his recliner, and no one else in the room anywhere around him. James coughs and snores, but does not awaken when she enters. He scratches at his long chin-whiskers and smacks his gums. He shifts onto his left-hand side and pulls his pajama top closed. Emily's mouse-brown brow furrows and her hazel eyes narrow. She closes the door and searches the room for the little injured girl. She looks behind stacks of newspapers but finds nothing in the front room. Emily walks into the kitchen, knowing there is no space for someone to hide. She glances in each of the lower cabinets, but finds nothing. She opens the pantry door and looks inside and along the bottom racks. Emily stands up and closes the door while scratching her head in confusion. 
Where the hell did you get to? Emily throws up her hands in surrender and confusion. She walks through the cluttered front room and into the hallway. She smiles, remembering the childhood games she used to play with her sister, Stephanie. Emily grins, extends her hands, and claps twice out loud. She calls out to the hiding child, hopeful she will fool her into revealing her hiding place. You know you have to clap back. The faint sound of small hands clapping emanates from the far end of the hallway. Emily follows the sound, coming to a stop outside of the last two doors at the hallway's end. She turns right and sees the closed master bedroom door. She turns left and sees the door to a room she has not entered since her arrival. Emily sees a faint name etched onto the door. James. The name looks faded and aged to her. She sees someone has placed a latch on the outside of the door. She sees that hanging from the latch is a rusty old master lock requiring a key to get past. Emily grabs and rattles the aged lock. Emily turns to the master bedroom door, and a crooked smile expands the corners of her mouth. She opens the door, stepping into Mr. Hill's room, and calls out, I'll find you now. Emily stops cold in her tracks as a faint voice calls out from behind the closed and locked room door, playfully goading her. I bet you don't. Emily turns to face the door and swallows hard as she stares at the door. She claps twice again. Her eyes widen, hearing the faint echo of two small hands returning the clapping sound. I really like this Stadler House series. If you like it to don't forget to throw us a like or subscribe. But for now this is the Wicked Things Podcast signing off. Until next time. Goodbye.